I'm Leah Carey, and this is Good Girls Talk About Sex. This is a place to share conversations with all sorts of women about their experience of sexuality. Before we get started, I want to tell you this. These are unfiltered conversations between adult women talking about sex. If anything about the previous sentence offends you, turn back now. And if you're looking for a trigger warning, you're not going to get it from me. I believe that you are stronger than the trauma you have experienced. I have faith in your ability to deal with the things that upset you. Sound good? Let's start the show. In today's episode, we'll meet Erin, a 34-year-old cisgender woman who describes herself as white, queer, recently in a new relationship, and still unsure of her preferred relationship style. Erin deals with OCD, plus related mental conditions that cause her to pull her hair and pick at her skin. Those conditions cause her nervousness, when exposing herself with a new partner. I am so pleased to introduce Erin. I am so excited to meet Oh, you're so adorable. <laughs> before we started, just to clue everybody in, before we started recording, Erin got on the phone and she was like, I'm kind of fangirling, which I think is the cutest thing ever. <laughs> And you're already giggling. Oh, so yeah, I'm, that's true. I'm so happy to have you here. <laughs> Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. So so you contacted me mm-hmm. and said that you're a listener and you wanted to be involved. So why? what is so exciting to you about this? Um, you know, I took um, one a class that you taught at SheBop. Um, that's a sex store here in Portland. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. and I went with one of my really close friends and it was just this like hugely transformative experience for me and, and for her actually. And, um, and then I, you know, then I started listening to your podcast and I, uh, felt so good. Like the podcast feels good to listen to. The class was incredible. Um, and so I was like, whatever I can do to like push this, really wonderful experience forward and out to more people, I'm going to do it. I'm excited to do it. Wow. Well, thank you. That, that means a lot to me Uh, to know that what I'm doing is having resonance and is making a difference. That's a really big deal. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Well, I'm excited to talk to you. So Mm -hmm. let's, let's dive in. Yeah. What is your first memory of sexual pleasure? (laughs) I don't remember how old I was. I was youngish. I'm going to say like early middle school, maybe late grade school. And I think I was watching like Oliver and Company or like Robin Hood, like some older dis- animated Disney movie. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like Robin Hood is very cute. Like oh. <laughs> even though he's an animated fox, like, what, you know, like, <laughs> It makes no sense. Um, and so I just remember like, you know, like the the tingly thing going and I was like, that's weird. I don't know if I enjoy that. And then I kind of just like ignored that for a little while. And then later on, um, once I started like 
hanging out with or dating people and things like that, then I was like, Oh, I was able to make that connection back. Like, Oh, this was this thing now that I'm doing is connected to that thing from when I was a kid. Um, yeah. So I, I really don't remember how old I was, but I was young enough that it was about a Disney cartoon. So, (laughs) (laughs) and so what, at what point did you have that experience with a live non-animated person? (laughs) Um, uh, probably eighth grade, however old you are in eighth grade, like 12, 13 ish, somewhere in there. Yeah. 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 I think something like that. And, uh, it was with like this boy that I loved or thought, you know, thought I loved for ever and ever. And, um, yeah. And like we, we kissed for the first time and it was like very exciting and, um, and all of that. And, uh, so yeah, that was the, that was early days. (laughs) How far did you go with him? Oh, that was it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) partially because he, he grew up like super religious and I was not. (laughs) And so like, there was, there was a, an element of like, you know, like I was like the, the wrong kind of girl kind of thing. I'm doing finger quotes, but uh, like the wrong kind of girl to his family. So there was like some of that going on, which was, I mean, to me it was great, but uh, to him was not great. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Did you grow up in the Portland area? I did. Yeah. Um, I moved here when I was a kid at like, I was five, I think. Um, And I grew up in the suburbs here. Yeah. It's interesting to me because I grew up in an extremely conservative area Mm -hmm. um, where boys and girls didn't really date. I mean, it was just Mm -hmm. barely starting around eighth grade, but Portland is a very progressive area. So what was your experience growing up in this area? Were there conversations about sex? Was that stuff happening earlier? Yeah, it's it's interesting. So my family is from like the Midwest, like my extended family, and that's where I was born. And my parents were born there and all of that. And so we I think that my parents did bring some of that, at least relatively more conservative, like viewpoints with us to Portland. They certainly aren't as uh, liberal <laughs> with things as I am, but I, I wouldn't classify them as conservatives either. Um, but I remember in like seventh grade or something, my mom telling me like, you're not supposed to call boys. You're supposed to wait for boys to call you. Uh-huh. And so my reaction to that was just to be like, well, that's stupid. I'm calling whoever I want to call. So I think because I grew up here instead of in the Midwest, I think that that had a big impact on how I reacted to those kinds of viewpoints or that more conservative viewpoint um, because it never made sense to me. But I do think that had I grown up in the Midwest, that would have been really different. Mm -hmm. But no, we like that was the extent of the talk. Like to this day, technically I've never like received the, like the birds and the bees talk from me. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They like left a book out, you know, they did that thing. They like left a book out that I discovered (laughs) Um, and that's how I learned about it. But they, uh, there was never a conversation about it at all. It's still not something that we, we talk about at all. So what kind of sex ed did you get in schools or did you? So, um, so at the time that I was in high school, the school that I went to had abstinence only education, which at the time I also thought was very stupid. Um, but it was because of who was, uh, because of the um, types of parents that were on the PTA and, you know, who the administration at the school was and that kind of thing, they were super conservative. And so uh, that was not sufficient education at all. And I kind of knew that. And so 
because of that, I think that at least with some of my girlfriends, we had like more open conversations about what we were experiencing because we kind of had to make up for it, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. You know, there were still certainly gaps, like one 16-year-old girl trying to teach another 16-year-old girl what we know it doesn't compensate for a thorough thorough education on no, that. So, that is very much yeah. the blind leading the blind. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was a lot of like, if you have sex, you will get pregnant and die kind of yeah. perspective. Yeah. So what about the abstinence only education? What were you mm-hmm. like, what specific messages were you hearing? Um, it was very much like there is, there are two kinds of birth control. There are, either condoms or nothing. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was that kind of message. Dang. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, they might have talked about like a cervical cap, which I don't know anyone in my generation <laughs> who has ever used one, let alone knows what one is. Yeah. They might have mentioned something with that. Um, but they were just really rest- – they talked a lot about STIs and STDs. They talked a lot about like teen pregnancy and that kind of thing. And there were some some girls that got pregnant in my high school, you know, with various results from that. But it didn't seem like there was an above average number of teen pregnancies at my high school. There maybe were. I'm not sure. The other thing I remember happening was our senior year, we had to do like a senior project. And somebody in the class ahead of us did a project on Planned Parenthood. And um, as part of their project, they like gave out condoms around school and they got like suspended for like a week for it just for handing, right. Oh, wow. Just for handing out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of like, um, there are messages like that more than like really direct messages of this being wrong or bad. It was just clearly indicated through the actions of the administration. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you weren't getting any conversation at home nope. and you weren't getting any reasonable education at school. Nope. You sounds like we're getting most of your education from other 16 year old girls. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So what did you believe about sex? You know, I do think that I, I would, I was never taught that it was wrong by people whose opinions I cared about. Mm. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Like at the time, if my parents had told me that it was wrong, that probably would have been, that probably would have bothered me. But like our health teacher, I, I, couldn't give two shits about what he thought. So like his opinion on it didn't sink in. Um, and so I never, I never had the kind of like shame that I know a lot of people experienced and still experience. Right. Um, and it's something that I'm really grateful for because that, that would be really challenging, I imagine. But yeah, so I, I never really, um, experienced that kind of shame or embarrassment. There was a lot of like gendered embarrassment or shame like girls shouldn't like this as much as boys kind of Uh, stuff that was more the messaging that I got from a little bit from my my mom definitely from like friends parents and things like that but very little about like just the act of it being wrong Mm. so you had that first kiss when you were around (laughs) eighth grade (laughs) what happened next Uh, I had a lot of boyfriends when I was younger, uh-huh. uh, because I got bored easily, I think is probably <laughs> why, <laughs> right? Like, um, yeah. And, and I also, uh, was always lusting after my friend's boyfriends, which was not good. 
but like even as a 13 year old right I was like oh I want that one and I want that one <laughs> <laughs> like picking them off the shelf you yeah. know um and so that that was probably the thing that came next I was like oh okay kissing I like this kissing thing I want more of this give me more of this and so I would you know I sought that out um especially I started going to like this summer camp that was a really important experience in my life that I attended and worked at for a long time. Um, and so there was a lot of that cause it was like sleepaway camp. And so of course there were a lot of shenanigans <laughs> that went on there. Uh, so a lot, a lot of stuff, a lot of experiences, especially first experiences at summer camp with, you know, my camp friends and, you know, friends with benefits kind yeah. of stuff. And how far yeah. did you go as a teenager? Uh, I didn't have sex for the first time until I was 18. Um, and it was with my high school sweetheart and it was fine. <laughs> that sounds, that sounds me. I mean, it wasn't mean? Hor- <laughs> yeah, it wasn't horrible. Right. Like I, I know so many people of all genders who had like this horrible first experience and I didn't have that. It's funny. I remember him asking me if it hurt. Right. You know, there's that, that kind of, well, sort of myth, I guess. And I was like, I said yes, but it totally didn't. And I was like, that's weird. That's weird that that didn't hurt for, you know, like that's supposed to, you know. So you said yes because you thought it was supposed to? Like, yeah, absolutely. And I didn't want him to like think that, you know, I was, there was something wrong with me or like, like physically wrong with me, you know. Or that maybe you weren't already a virgin. Right. Also yeah. that. Yeah. 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 And at the time, like, yeah, I, I remember senior year, junior and senior year, like virginity was such a big deal. Like who had lost it? Who hadn't? And now looking back on it, I'm like, well, that's a social construct. Who cares? You yeah. know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, with your, well, in high school, talking mm-hmm. about virginity and being a social construct, like, mm-hmm. yeah, the further I get into this world of sex and sexuality, I recognize that this thing that we call virginity is only linked to intercourse. But there's yeah, all sorts of stuff that is sex that isn't necessarily yes. intercourse. So were there things that you were doing prior to having intercourse that you would say were sex? Absolutely. Well, and it's, it's funny you say that too, because like at the time I wouldn't have defined, defined those things Mm -hmm. as sex either. Right. But now looking back, you know, like, like just what P and V sex is like, not, that's not all there is. And, and just counting that as the thing is, um, I don't know. I think it's an outdated perspective, I guess. Um, and it's certainly something that I've changed my perspective on as well over time. Um, but oh yeah, absolutely. I was, (laughs) um, the guy I dated in high school, we were together almost two years. So a lot of it was with him and then like the people at summer camp too, um, because it was summer camp. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, so it was like, it was a lot of, um, I don't know. It was a lot of like trying out oral and things like that. And, um, and it's, uh, it's not actually not funny. It's not a funny story, but the guy I was with in high school, I remember we, we tried, we tried going down on each other for the first time. And later I was talking to him about it and I made some joke about him, you know, him doing it again. And he's like, I didn't like it. Mm. And so I had, that's one thing that I felt like shame about for a long time actually is like, I was like, Oh God, there is something gross about me that makes him not want to do this. I don't want to ever experience that again. Yeah. Um, and so I like, I re- would refuse 
to have somebody go down on me for a long time. Did you ever ask him what it was he didn't like about it? Yeah. And what did he say? And it was like all the worst answers, right? Like, I don't like how it looks. I don't like how it tastes. I don't like, it's all of the things that like, I still kind of fear to this day. Right. But yeah, that was like, that was just such a huge blow to, I don't know, my ego and my self, all of that stuff, Mm -hmm. my self-esteem. It sucked a lot. Have you heard other people as you went on through life say, I love how it looks and I love how it tastes. And do you believe them? My answer today would probably be different than an answer two days ago. Like, you know, it kind of depends, I guess. Right. Like, Maybe it depends on how good a liar that person is. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, I'm kidding. well, I mean, I think that those early voices carry yeah. so much weight, especially when they're oh, yeah. negative. And mm-hmm. it's really challenging to override those voices, even when we hear good things later. Totally. And, and it's for so long, it's the kind of thing that you don't tell somebody else about, mm-hmm. right? Like, I didn't tell my girlfriends that he had said that. Yeah right? I would never have told them that yeah. in part because maybe it's, it's the dynamic between teen, teenage girls, but it would have been ammo against me. Right. I don't, I didn't want that, yeah. but yeah, I, I think now I, yes, I believe it when somebody says something nice about me in that way, but that's probably honestly, probably only in the last like four years that that's the case. Right. Like, so from 18 to let's say 30, I wouldn't believe it for a second. Yeah. So what about your relationship with your body in general? How, Mm. as a teenager, how did you feel about your body? Um, I was always the funny one, not the pretty one. Oh, yeah. Sometimes I was the smart one. Uh, When one of my friends wasn't around, I was the smart one because she was always the smart one. Um, And I had a lot of really beautiful friends. Um, I mean, I think they were. And, um, you know, I look back at these pictures of me from that age and I'm like, I was like thin and tan and lovely and I, I didn't know it, you know, and probably my girlfriends didn't know it about themselves either. Right. Like, um, even the ones that were beautiful, but I, I was frequently like one of the guys or whatever, you know, instead of being the desirable one, mm-hmm. uh, which it sucked it meant I had a lot more, a lot deeper friendships with some of those people, like some of the guys that I am friends with still or um, was friends with for a really long time. But it also, I think, led to me being thought of and me thinking of myself as like not the person you date, just the person you mess around with, mm-hmm. right? Because I was convenient or I was I was there when the pretty ones weren't there, that kind of thing. Yeah. And it didn't. I think it bothered me more than I probably would have acknowledged outwardly, you know? Um, and that sucked a lot. Yeah. Uh, but now my relationship to my body is a lot different. Um, I, I have a lot of tattoos and those have been uh, really integral in me, like feeling good about how I look and feeling really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, the best example I have is I have this big tattoo on my, one of my thighs um, and thighs are not a thing that I would like show off normally. Right. Like there's a period of time when I wouldn't wear shorts and, and that kind of thing. Um, but now I feel like that part of me is really beautiful. 
And so I'm like, yeah, I'm going to wear this dress with the really high slits and I'm going to wear the short shorts. So I think that getting tattoos helped me really love how I look. And it's been other things too. Like I, like I dye my hair fun, crazy colors and and things like that. And that makes me also feel beautiful um, in a way that frankly is confusing to a lot of people. (laughs) Uh, But it's, it's, um, it's a kind of an ownership, right? I'm taking ownership over how I look and choosing to look a certain way. And that's been like a really powerful aspect of who I've become. Are you aching to explore new vistas of your sexuality? Do you hear me talk about concepts on this show and think it makes sense, but I need help applying it to my particular situation? That's where personalized sex and intimacy coaching comes in. When you work with me, I promise to help you feel safe exploring your sexuality. Together, we'll look at your needs and desires without judgment and help you figure out how to fulfill them. There is no single answer that's right for everyone, so I'm going to help you discover what's right for you. And we'll go at your pace. That's the pace that respects your emotional needs, your boundaries, and your nervous system. Because going too fast can send you into shutdown, while going too slow can be infuriating and exhausting. The goal is to find what's right for you. I work with clients who are motivated to explore many different areas of sexuality, including things like expressing your sexual desires to current or future partners, exploring if you might be queer, challenging body image insecurity in sexual relationships, dipping your toes into BDSM, exploring consensual non-monogamy, learning to date after a long time out of the dating pool, exploring your sexuality for later in life virgins, and so much more. I want you to have a deeply fulfilling, intimate life. And together, we can help you get there. For more information and to schedule your discovery call, visit leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. That's leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. Has your experience of sex changed as your relationship with your body has changed? Oh my gosh, so much. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, I'm not, not as timid and I'm not a, I'm not really a timid person. I, I, there's kind of one version of me in any situation. I, I am who I am at work or at home or with my family or, um, and, uh, and so I, but I do think that the confidence that I've gotten that I've created for myself rather than getting from other people has made it so that that part of my life, that my sex life is so much better than it's ever been. Mm. Right. Cause I, I don't worry. I don't spend the whole time worrying. It's so exhausting to worry that yeah. much. You know, it really is. You don't have time or energy to pay attention to what's enjoyable. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's let me, do and try and feel things that I, I hadn't before. I like, I didn't um, make the space in my brain for it. Yeah. So, um, I know that you also date 
women. I do. Um, mm-hmm. I, I guess I didn't ask you when, when we did the little pre questionnaire at the beginning and you said queer, I didn't ask you if that includes dating people who are gender nonconforming or trans. It hasn't in the past, but it's, it's definitely not something that I'm like anti. Right. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I like everybody. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. when did you discover that you enjoyed people other than just boys? Yeah. Um, it wasn't until junior year of college for me, um, which was like this really intense, super depressed year for me. Mm-hmm. I like lived alone for the first time. And I, there were a lot of, a lot of things, um, uh, a lot of like mental health stuff came out for me at that time. Cause I, um, at, that was the point. Well, that was the point that I should have been diagnosed with OCD, but I wasn't until later, mm-hmm. but that's when those kinds of things started to surface. Um, and that's when I started to come out to people. Um, and, um, it, it was, a. I don't remember what triggered it. I think what triggered it is that I was like in love with one of my friends, right? She was like, just beautiful. And I had this assumption, I think that everyone always, everyone thought of people of the same gender as them the same way that I always had, but that, that was not the case apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so um, when I realized like, Oh, I think of these people differently than like, maybe one of my straight friends does. I was like, Oh, okay. I maybe need to pay attention to that. I need to look at that. Yeah. So that was when that was. And what did you do about it? What did you pursue it? I did. Um, and it was so scary. It was really scary. Um, it didn't help that she lived far away. Like she, we were both in college and she was at a different school, but, uh, uh, she would send me like, love notes. She would like, like mail, like snail mail me love notes. It was, it was very sweet. Um, (laughs) it was just this like lovely kind of innocent version of like a romance, I guess. Right. And, um, yeah, it was good. It, it, it surprised me how easy it was once we actually like kind of cop to our feelings to each other. So she reciprocated. She did. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she, she's still really beautiful. So, yeah. <laughs> so what was it like? You had already had sex with uh, a penis having person at that point. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> what was it like for you to become physically involved with a female? She was um, soft and smooth and just like, she was this very strong, but still very feminine. Not that the two don't go together, but she was a very strong feminine woman. And she had this long, long dark hair. So it was just like, apparently checked all my boxes, right? Like, <laughs> um, and so it was just this, um, everything about her was softer, right? Like kissing her was just softer. It also felt like almost easier in that there was less directing that's what it was. Mm. Less directing had to happen. Uh-huh. Right. Cause we kind of, you know, knew how each other worked a little better. I think I'm sure that's not always the case, but that was, that was the case for us. Yeah. Um, ultimately she decided that she 
didn't know how she felt about having sex with women. And so that was, that kind of led to the, the end of that. Oh, that's hard. Yeah. She had a bit of a crisis of self, which I resented her for at the time, which is not fair or okay. But, um, but you know, she had to go through her process like I did. Well, but it's also real because right, absolutely. your emotions were involved at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That was a hard one. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she actually, not that long ago, like found me on one of the dating apps and messaged me and I was like, Oh, well that's, that's very funny. Wow. Um, How did you respond? I, you know, I tried to be nice about it. I was like, Oh, it's so good to hear from you. You know, I like pleasantries, whatever. And then I didn't hear from her after that. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm like, I'm glad you're alive and doing your thing, but also weird. And also looking for women on dating apps. <laughs> also looking for women on dating apps. Exactly. So I was like, okay, well, I guess you figured that out. Uh, I'm glad that you did. <laughs> you know. So how has your, once you identified that you were interested that you're uh-huh. bisexual, how uh-huh. did your dating life proceed from there? Have you gone through periods where you were more interested in one than the other? Do you just generally look for a person versus a gender. How's that work for you? Yeah, that's interesting. I um, so where I went to college was like middle of farm country, and I think I knew two out people, let alone like, and only one of them was another woman. Um, and so it didn't feel at the time like there were a lot of options for me when I was in college. That's probably not accurate, but that's what it felt like, right? But once I moved back to Portland, it was a lot different than that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But when I got back here, I went through like a 10-year no dating streak. Not a dry spell, but a 10-year no dating streak. And so that... that, What what does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) I still had to get some. (laughs) Okay, so you were still having sex with people. You just weren't dating. And right, where were exactly. you finding people to have sex with? Um, it was mostly friends or friends of friends, okay. which is so not the way to go in <laughs> in my life anyway, because then it's like, it becomes a, a thing, yeah. right? So yeah, eventually it became like going on the apps and doing the Tinder thing and you know, that, that sort of stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, so that, that big chunk of time, I wasn't looking for anybody, right? I mean, I was... It was whoever was, whoever was around and whoever was willing to sleep with me, basically. Regardless of gender. I mean, yeah, like it was, I call it my, my slutty phase. And I say that not as using the word in a negative. Like I'm, I'm happy I went through that. Had I not, I wouldn't be in the place that I am now. And so I mostly call it that as a joke, but it's, uh, yeah, it was, it was a long period of time. I, sometimes I forget how long it was, but yeah. (laughs) You mentioned in passing OCD, and I wanted to just come back to that for a moment and find out um, if it's a completely separate topic, that's fine. But if it has any impact on your experience of sex and sexuality, I wanted Mm. to open that topic. It probably more directly relates to like the the relationship-y side, right? Which certainly is connected, but I don't, I, for me, I don't have any, um, I don't have like, um, a cleanliness thing. The closest thing actually, I, now I'm going to take it back. Um, part of my OCD is having, uh, like I, I pick at my skin. 
um, which is technically a separate disorder, but they do think it's connected. It's called dermatillomania. There's also trichotillomania, which is hair pulling. And so I have those as well because you got to have a whole bunch of different (laughs) disorders if you're going to have one. And so those picking at my skin in particular um, happens when I'm very anxious or I mean, like, frankly, just any time, right? It's how my body is coping with whatever rampant thoughts are happening in my brain or whatever stressors are outside. Often they are, they have to do with things. For me, it's, I have a lot of food stuff, like food has to be eaten in certain numbers, that kind of thing. And uh, the skin picking is never a fun conversation to have with someone I'm going to sleep with, right? Because they can see it. I know they can see it. Uh, I wish they didn't. Um, right now I have full eyelashes and eyebrows, but I don't always and haven't always. So none of that is a fun conversation. And, uh, I don't like how it looks, but I also know that it, like I've been doing this since I was like 10 years old. And, and so stopping is more than just like, Oh, just stop. Yeah. Just, just stop doing it. You know? But when I know that somebody's going to see those parts of me, I get really nervous and I feel like I have to give them a heads up almost. Even though, like, especially if it's somebody I'm not going to see again, like, who cares what they think, (laughs) you know? Um, But uh, it often gets seen as, like, a self-harm thing, and it's not. Mm -hmm. The food stuff for uh, my OCD often gets seen as, like, an eating disorder thing, and it's it's not. Um, So it gets misinterpreted a lot, and that, that makes it hard in relationships and in sex because, you know, I want to be seen as more than just my mental health issues. Um, but I also do, if I want to be with the person, I do also want them to know about and not be freaked out by those things as well. So it's this weird balance, you know? Um, but the skin picking part of it, probably that definitely impacts like my experience with sexuality. Yeah. What kind of touch do you enjoy the most? I like a whole range of things. I like, I like, like little, little kisses and like very gentle stuff but then like you can take it to the other extreme and I I love biting and so you know it it it, but do I want somebody to bite me in the middle of a restaurant (laughs) (laughs) context is important (laughs) it really matters yeah yeah uh what are your hard red lines um I do not enjoy any kind of anal anything um, it's not for me. Giving or receiving? Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, I don't know. It's not for me. Um, and I, I don't want to be choked. I don't even really like it if somebody puts their hand near my neck. I know that's like a big, a very popular thing right now, it seems, but I don't, I don't dig it. Uh, that feels too unsafe. It, it's things that feel like they're, unsafe actions that are surprising Mm. right like yeah like that's what it is it's it's things that feel like I might be at risk um even if that person doesn't intend it Mm -hmm. those are those are typically my hard lines because I don't I don't want to feel unsafe you know it's taken me a while to get to the point when I'm that I'm at with my body my world and my sex life and I don't want to introduce things that are too scary. Like I don't do the breath play stuff. I don't like, I don't like any of that. Friends, if you love these conversations, I would love your help to keep them going. There are three ways you can participate. 
two are free, and one is for listeners who've got a few extra dollars each month. Number one, take a screenshot of this episode right now and post it to your Instagram stories. Tag me in your post, and if it's public, I'll reshare and send you a personal thank you. Word of mouth is the best way to build buzz for an independent show like Good Girls Talk About Sex. And the more people listening, the healthier our collective sexual experiences will become. Number two, don't want the whole world to know you're listening to a show about sex? I get it. Perhaps you heard something in this episode that reminds you of a past conversation with a friend or something you wish your partner knew. Send them a link to this episode and a quick message about why you think they should listen. And number three, if you have the resources to support the sex positive work I do, I'd be grateful for your support at Patreon. Donating the equivalent of a fancy cup of coffee each month might not make a big difference to you, but it makes a huge difference to me. There's absolutely no contract or obligation. You can cancel at any time. Plus, I donate 10% of all proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are currently being legislated out of existence. It's easy to become a patron at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. And one more thing. There is a treasure trove of additional audio at Patreon that's free to everyone. You don't even need to have a Patreon account to access them. Just go to patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex to start listening. I appreciate every one of you, whether you're a client, a patron, a social media follower, or a silent listener. I trust you to know what's right for you. Thank you for being here. Now, let's get back to the show. Before we finish up, let's do the quick five. Five quick questions we'd usually be too polite to ask any good girl. Do you have sex during your period? I don't really have one anymore. Really? Because I have an IUD. Yeah. When I did have one, I did not, though. Mostly, well, pretty much exclusively because I didn't want to. Um, because I'm a stormy monster who doesn't want to be touched when I'm <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah so but yeah um, I I didn't it wasn't something I wanted to do and now it's not it's not an issue. Does an IUD usually stop a period? It sometimes huh. does. It doesn't always, um, and there's still some times when I'll I'll get like a tiny bit of spotting, but it's like almost completely gone, which is great. Yeah, I'm <laughs> thumbs up for a IUD. little jealous. <laughs> What is your favorite way to orgasm with a hand, with a tongue, mm. a toy, a penis or strap on or something else? Mm. They feel different. Um, I don't know that I could pick one or another. Mm. Like it feels different to, yeah, it feels different when I'm by myself with like a toy than when I'm with a partner. Um, and so I, I don't know that I could choose. I think I more consistently, do with like a toy on my own clit stimulation right but like 
there are some people that I've been able to with like, with just penetrative sex. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's great. That's fun. And it, it just feels different. I don't, it's hard to explain how it feels different, but, uh, but it does feel different. Yeah. So I like them both. Okay. I guess. Uh, Well, you actually just answered my next question too, which is, (laughs) can you orgasm solely from intercourse or from penetration? I can. Yeah. Um, which I am very pleased about. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Have you ever faked an orgasm? Oh, of course. Yes. <laughs> Who hasn't? Who are hasn't? There, are there particular situations in which you do? Oh, yeah. Um, it, <laughs> I, I haven't, I feel like I have to like give the caveat. I haven't recently. And I definitely did when I was young, right? Like high school, college, like, and I think in part because I had this this idea that you were supposed to you were supposed to come at the same time as the person you're mm-hmm. with, mm-hmm. and if you didn't, then there was something wrong, you know, something wrong with you, yeah. and and all of that. And so I think that those were most frequently the times when I would. Uh, looking back, I'm like, why that did, did it did me no favors. <laughs> You know, um, and some people like as a result of that, never learned the things that I actually like. I also didn't have the words to tell them. So that combination made it so that we didn't have as much fun as I think we could have. Mm-hmm. Um, so like it's it's a policy for me now not to fake because it doesn't do me any good. And ultimately, I'm mostly in those situations to get mine. And if the other person enjoys it, that's great, too. Do you have hair down there or are you there? I do have hair. Yeah. Do you um, trim it? How do you, do you do anything with it? Yeah, I trim it. And then I do like waxing all on the edges. Right. Uh, it's funny being back on the apps relatively recently. Um, that's like the second thing that a lot of, at least men ask. Um, what? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> yeah. It's like, Hey, how's your Friday? Are you fully shaved? Those are like the first two questions. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, and so at first it would made me feel very embarrassed. I was like, Oh, I'm not, I'm not doing this the way that I should be. And then I was like, eventually I was able to answer like, no, I'm not. And if that's a problem, see ya basically. Uh, Right. But it, it, it was very funny to start to experience that, that question. So like rapid fire, especially because it was like a shock anytime I asked it back. (laughs) Because <laughs> the the answer is almost always no. Right. Like, again, like, at least from dudes, like no, of course I'm not. I'm like, really? Of course you're not. That seems unfair. <laughs> That's not how this works. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. I I'm I'm gonna have to process that for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Do you enjoy dirty talk during sexual encounters? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mostly if I'm the one talking. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, it's fun. It's like a fun, fun, very intimate, but playful thing that I enjoy. Like being playful is something I really enjoy in that part of my life, you know? So that is all of the questions. We have done it. We did it. I'm very excited that we did this. This is very exciting for me. (laughs) Me too. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. That's it for today. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or if you're using another podcast app, go to ratethispodcast.com 
forward slash goodgirls. And remember, there's a treasure trove of audio extras available for free at Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash goodgirlstalkaboutsex. While listening to those extras is free, producing this show is not. If my work is meaningful to you, and you have a few dollars to support it each month, I will gratefully accept your patronage at Patreon. I donate 10% of all Patreon proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are increasingly difficult to obtain. Find out more and become a community member at patreon.com forward slash goodgirlstalkaboutsex. Show notes and transcripts for this episode are at goodgirlstalk.com. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Good Girls Talk for more sex-positive content. If you have a question or comment about anything you've heard on the show, call and leave a message at 720-GOOD-SEX. Good Girls Talk About Sex is produced by me, Leah Carey, and edited by Gretchen Kilby. I have additional administrative support from Lara O'Connor and Maria Franco. Transcripts are produced by Jan Asiello. Before we go, I want to remind you that the things you may have heard about your sexuality aren't true. You are worthy. You are desirable. You are not broken. As your sex and intimacy coach, I will guide you in embracing the sexuality that is innately yours, no matter what it looks like. To set up your free discovery call, go to leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. Until next time, here's to your better sex life.